verses 1 to 9. So Genesis 24, verses 1 to 9. Abraham was now very old, and the Lord had blessed him in every way. He said to the senior servant in his household, the one in charge of all that he had, Put your hand under my thigh. I want you to swear by the Lord, the God of heaven and the God of earth, that you will not get a wife for my son from the daughters of the Canaanites, among whom I am living, but will go to my country and my own relatives and get a wife for my son Isaac. The servant asked him, What if the woman is unwilling to come back with me to this land? Shall I then take your son back to the country you came from? Make sure that you do not take my son back there, Abraham said. The Lord, the God of heaven, who brought me out of my father's household and my native land, and who spoke to me and promised me on oath, saying, To your offspring I will give this land. He will send his angel before you so that you can get a wife for my son from there. If the woman is unwilling to come back with you, then you will be released from this oath of mine. Only do not take my son back there. So the servant put his hand under the thigh of his master Abraham and swore an oath to him concerning this matter. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. Thanks be to God. Morning, everyone. Thanks, Jenny. Pastor David is back in the country, having been away for six months or something like that, it's been. I think he came back Friday night here in Rosemary and uh, landed Friday nights, got home, and then was at a funeral he did yesterday for Trevor Zimmerman's uh, mum, who some of you will know, passed away the week before. So he did that, and then uh, he's undoubtedly gone back home to bed to sleep. Uh, he will be jet-lagged for sure. Uh, and because he took, he was still on annual leave because he did that, I said, maybe you should take Monday off as well, so we'll wait and see if he turns up. Uh, he said he might be here Monday, but, you know, he's old and he's jet-lagged, so. <laughs> what? You don't think he's not old? You don't think he's, yeah, not old? He's old. He's nearly as old as me. Am I old? <laughs> It's all relative, isn't it? It's all relative. Genesis chapter 24 is where we're up to, and it's a fantastic story. It's one story. It's the biggest story. It's the biggest chapter in Genesis, but it's also one of the longest stories. There's only one story in Genesis, which is longer, and that's the story of the flood. That's over 75 verses in three chapters. This has got 67 verses in one chapter. That's how long this story is. And so I commend to you and encourage you to go home and read it. In this chapter, it's almost the central chapter of Genesis, you get a summary, an indication of the whole Bible story. And if we get time at the end, I'll allude to that. I don't want to spend too much time on it. Many people think this chapter is about how to find a wife. There must have been half a dozen either commentaries and or sermons online or something like that that I liked during the week. And they, you know, how to find a godly wife. And I went, that's not what this chapter's about at all. But I can understand the principles that come out of it. If you're looking as a parent to find a spouse for your, a, a, 
a wife for your son? Well, get some camels, load them up, <laughs> head them off, go in search, pray and spend money to buy her. That's what this chapter teaches about marriage. And there are lots of other biblical examples as well. That's not what this chapter's about. I think one of those signs has fallen down, hasn't it? Or is there only four up at the moment? Where's the raw one? Is that where it is? It says raw, when life is wild, God is good. Because I've entitled this sermon, spinning off that, of when life is slow, God is still working. Something to always bear in mind. Even when life is slow, when you think God is absent or distant or not doing anything, he's still present and he's still at work. When life is slow, God is still working. I'm going to pray in a moment. I just want to share with this with you. We had one of the kids called people come down to the Mandarin and the Cantonese services last week to share in a kids spot, kids, uh, ch- uh, kids club spot. And because it was raw, and I think that sign is up down in the activity centre and so Lee, when she came down, she said, you know, our theme is raw, and the congregation went, <laughs> And a person at the back who had gone to sleep because they were quite elderly, when they went, he went, <laughs> Timing was perfect. So if you feel like roaring or snoring this morning, like Pastor David does, I'm quite sure, then the Lord bless you. Let's pray. Thank you, Heavenly Father, that we can be together, that we can learn together from your word. And Lord, we gather together to encourage one another and support one another in the faith. So we pray that you might not only speak to us, but you would equip us and challenge us and motivate us to walk closely with you and to trust you. Lord, even when life is slow, you're still at work. So increase our faith and our trust, waiting for you and your time and your purposes. Lord, we commit ourselves to you now in Jesus' name. And everybody said? Chapter 24 follows 23, which we jumped over. In chapter 23, Sarah dies. Sarah is 127 when she dies. It's a pretty good innings. And I wanted to mention that because it's significant as background to this chapter. And I'll get to that in about a minute and a half. One day that's going to be said of us. Sarah died. Insert your name. Died. It's the one biggest, the biggest fact in life. It's the one thing certain in life, isn't it? That we will cease. Uh, Sorry, we don't cease, but we will exit. We will leave. We'll be gone. We die. And so it's something we need to prepare for. Now, the significance of that for this morning is it was through death that Abraham began to inherit the promises that God had been giving him for years. Up until now, God had promised him land and descendants. He had neither. But when Sarah died, Abraham bought a cave. He bought some land. The first indication of the promise that God had for him in the future, that he would give him the entire promised land, when others thought, what others thought was the end of everything was in fact just only the beginning of what God was doing. And in fact, Abraham in this chapter, this central chapter, chapter 24 of Genesis, the promises that God had given him, it comes to, it's the beginning, the first fruits of it. God promised him land and descendants in 
This chapter, he's got land. And in this chapter, he's going to get a descendant. He gets the land through losing Sarah, and he'll get the descendants through searching for and finding Rebecca for Isaac. And she will give birth to twins in about 20 years, I think. He has to wait 20 years even for that. Chapter 25 tells us that. So what some people think is the end of something is in fact God at work and God achieving his purposes. It's the beginning of something. So let's come to chapter 24. And we find this is where Abraham, in line with God's will and purposes, uh, does something practical and sensible in order to achieve those purposes, that God works sometimes through the very ordinary, the us doing responsible things. It's as it was Abraham's responsibility, so it is our responsibility to make sure the next generation knows about God's blessing and knows about God's plan. So Abraham is now in his late 130s. He's 137, 138, 139, something like that. Because in the next chapter, 25, when they get married, or at the end of this chapter, the next chapter, Isaac is 40 when he marries Rebekah, and so Abraham was about 140 then. This is happening just before all of that. Um, and undoubtedly, Abraham knew and expected that God had a plan and that God had a woman for Isaac because of his promise. You're going to have descendants and I'll come through Isaac. So therefore, God had a woman somewhere. And the Bible doesn't tell us this or uh, give us these details, but it does allude to in the passage Jenny read to us that you can't have a woman from among the Canaanites from amongst whom we're living. It has to be a woman who is in the covenant, a person who is a believer in Yahweh, the true and living God. And so... You'll have to find a woman from my family, my clan. And so he gets his servant, his chief servant, um, and sends him with a very particular mission. Go find a wife for Isaac. And there's a tension in the story when the servant says, what if she says no? What if she doesn't want to come? Well, then you're released from the oath. But under no circumstances take Isaac from this land. God said, this is the land where it's to be given to us. And so we must wait here. And Isaac never leaves the promised land. Never. Even in 26, where there's a famine, God instructs him very particularly, stay put, do not leave the promised land. And so Abraham, in uh, anticipation of that and fulfilling that, sends his servant. We don't give the name of the servant, but back in chapter 15, the servant's name, the name of his chief servant is Eliezer. This is before Isaac was born. This is 50 years later. Is it still Eliezer? Would he be able to? Would he be too old to make this trip? Just imagine it is Eliezer. Then this man is a remarkable man, a remarkable servant. Because before Isaac was born, Eliezer stood to inherit everything. It would go to him. And then Isaac comes and he is the servant. And now here is this man who owned it all, so to speak, now going to find a wife in order that he does not inherit anything, but it is all passed on to the son. Here is the man submitted and committed to God's purposes being worked out in this world and in his life. It's a remarkable uh, insight, if that's the case. Why didn't Abraham go? Well, was he too old? Maybe. Maybe it was because of the custom of that time, particularly amongst wealthy families, that it's, you arranged, somebody else arranged the wedding. They went, they found, they brought the person back and, and so on. And maybe it's linked in that Abraham likewise wasn't allowed to leave the land. So the chief steward does, takes the oath. And verse 7 particularly, take note, take note of this and then we'll move on. 
Abraham says, the Lord, the God of heaven and the God of earth. There's no shortage in Abraham's understanding of who God is. He's got no small or limited view. Lord, the Lord, the God of heaven, who brought me out of my father's house and my native land, who spoke to me and promised me, said to your offspring, I will give this land. Well, he's still at work. He'll send his angel ahead of you so that you'll get a wife for my son there. He's trusting God to go ahead and to work. Maybe that's what, where you're up to and what you might need to be doing in your life. Not sure, but it's worth thinking about. So verses 10 to 14, I just want to work my way through the chapter. Some of it I'm going to read, but most of it I'm just going to retell. Um, <clears throat> the servant does, obedient, in obedience, having placed his hand under Abraham's thigh and having given his oath, having promised... He then takes 10 camels, verse 10. The servant left, taking with him 10 of the master's camels, loaded with all kinds of good things for his master. We're not told immediately in this part of the story, but we'll be told a little bit later. He didn't go alone. He took some men with him. So he got 10 camels, fully loaded, with food, with water, with supplies, but also with gifts. Gifts to give to the future bride, but also probably to the family. An appropriate thing to do. And so they head off. They head north. They go to a place called Nahor. Um, passes over in silence of how long the journey was and all the details there. We're simply told when he arrives outside the city. The camels are tied and they kneel down. And in a moment, the servant will also kneel down in prayer. Verse 12, he says. Then he prayed. He said, Lord, God of my master Abraham, make me successful today. Show kindness to my master Abraham. I love this bit. He's talking to the God of heaven, the God who knows everything. He said, Lord, here I am. I'm standing beside the spring. Hello. Um, and the daughters of the townspeople are coming out to draw water. May it be that when I say to a young woman, please let me in your jar that I may have a drink. And she says, sure, have a drink. And then she'll also say, and I'll also get water for your camels too. Lord, if that happens, if she says that, can she be the one that you have chosen for my, your servant Isaac? That's how I'm going to know. So he arrives outside the city. The camels are nailed down. They're tired and dusty. And he, it's evening. And he's thought about it. All right, I've achieved the goal. I've reached the place where I know Abraham's relatives live. <clears throat> how am I going to find them? How am I going to find the woman that God has chosen for Isaac? And he thinks... All of the women come out of the city in the evening, in the, come out of the town in the evening to fill their jars with water for the family during the, for the night meal and so on through the night. And so he's located himself in a place where all of the women will be going before him. He's going to observe all of the talent. That's a sensible thing to do, isn't it? Yeah. So here he is waiting. And then he thinks, how am I going to find him? Then he prays. And he makes a deal with God. He's trying to honour God. It's not quite putting out a fleece. It's similar. But he's sort of saying, God, I need your help. I need you to help me find this person. If I go up to any one of these girls and say, could I please have a drink? They'll all say yes. That's just a polite thing to do. And I really can't ask them to feed my 10 camels, water my 10 camels, because that's a pretty long, involved task. I can't ask that. But if she volunteers, if she initiates that response, well, then I'll know. She's got a good heart. She's servant-hearted. She's... Uh, practical and so on and then beautifully verse 15 says before he had finished praying Rebecca 
came out with her jar. Isn't that wonderful? It's wonderful because here is this guy praying and the very first girl out. So there's no distractions for him. He's not going to be wondering, is it that one, is it that one, is it that one, is it that one? The first one out. Isaiah, the, the prophet says in Isaiah 65, 24, and it shall come to pass before they call, I will answer. And while they are yet speaking, I will hear. That's our heavenly father. He hears us. And sometimes he answers us even before we ask. Before it shall come to pass, before they call, I will answer. Even while they're speaking, I will hear. God's timing is just superb. He's not distracted. The servant's not distracted by any of the other young ladies coming out. Rebecca arrives. Maybe that says something about her character that she's carrying a jar where she's got to come and get the water and I can imagine other young girls not wanting to do that. You know, they dawdle, they drag their feet to get out or whatever. And here she is, first cab out, first lady out. So that may say something about her character, that she's industrious, that she's focused, she's getting on, she's a loyal girl. Um, but you can't read too much into that. And so then, verse 17, he runs up to her because she goes down to the spring. So she goes down some steps to where the spring is, fills the jar, puts that on her shoulder and comes back up the steps and she's starting to head back into town where he runs up to her. Here's another lesson for us. What had he done? He had knelt down and prayed. Now what's he doing? Action. Action follows prayer. Some people pray and don't do anything. And some people don't pray, but they do everything. And the balance is demonstrated for us, and we're reminded of it again. We should pray and ask for God's help. And then we should get involved. We should be moving. We should be doing things, looking for God to work his purposes out. That's exactly what this guy does. He goes up to her and he says to her, can I please have a drink? And she says, most certainly. She lowers the jar and probably pours it into her hand or whatever, and he drinks from it, however it happens. While he's drinking, she looks around and she observes the camels, that they're kneeling there and they're dusty and they look tired. And so when he's finished drinking, she says to him, I'll, f I'll get some water and um, I'll feed your camels as well. I'll give them enough water to drink. And so she goes back down to the stream, comes back up, carrying it, and pours that water into the trough. Goes back down, picks it up, comes back up. Ten camels. How long do you think that would have taken? Over an hour, maybe a couple of hours. How many trips? Quite a few. And if you read it quite carefully, it says, so she quickly emptied the jar into the trough. She ran back to the well to draw some water and drew enough for all his camels. Ten camels, 30 gallons each. That's how much a camel can drink. And she does it all. I love this bit of the story. It's so typical. <clears throat> She's hurrying in. Verse 21. Without saying a word, the man watched her closely. <laughs> to learn whether or not the Lord had made his journey successful. Isn't that typical? <laughs> no, it's not. What is he doing? He had prayed, Lord, if I say give me a drink, she gives me a drink. If she offers to, feed the, uh, to water the camels, let her be the one. She says, let me water your camels. She's the one. He's not sure. So he's observing, trying to discern, is this the one? 
because Rebecca is not ugly. In verse 15, before they finished praying, Rebecca came out with a jar on her shoulder. She was the daughter of these people. She was very beautiful. She was a young woman and she'd never slept with anyone. She was a virgin. She went down to the spring and filled a jar. She's got everything going for her. She's a gorgeous looking young girl. She's not married. I wonder if, not told, I wonder if she had been praying for a husband. I wonder if God had, you know, God often works at both angles, but we're not told that. And so he observes, and that's something else that I've observed, that when you do ask God for things, when you put out a sign, so to speak, when that gets fulfilled, you are still not sure. Is that a like, coincidence? Was that God? Is, is this it? Well, that's his experience, certainly. So he's observing and he's thinking and he's got a couple of questions to give her. Firstly, he pays her for what she's done because she's worked pretty hard for him. I don't like the gifts, but they're probably they're made of gold. Gave her a gold nose ring. <laughs> exactly. And two bracelets. When he gave her the nose ring, did he put it in? Or did he just give it to her? It's a different culture. Different values, different whatever. But it's clear that he's being very generous because she's been very generous. And he says, I've got a question for you. In fact, I've got two questions. Number one, who are you? Who's your, whose daughter are you? Do you belong to Abraham's clan and family? Are you from that? Because that's one of the conditions. Whose daughter are you? And then please tell me, is there room in your father's house for us? me, my men and the camels, to spend the night. In other words, it's a nice way of inviting himself home, but what he's doing is the right thing. He needs to talk to the parents. Because if this is the girl, he's got to talk to mum and dad about it. She is incredible in her response. Verse 24, she says, I am the daughter of Bethuel, the son of Milcah, that Milcah bore to Nahor. And she added, we got plenty of straw and fodder and stuff, as well as room for you to spend the night. This is the family of some means as well. What you may not pick up on is that Abraham had two brothers, Nahor and Haran. Haran, who died in Ur of the Chaldeas, maybe before Abraham even left home, he had three kids. His first, he, he had a, a son called Lot. Lot went with Abraham when he left. He had a daughter called Milka. Milka went with the other brother, Nahor. So Nahor has his niece living with him, whom he later marries. That Milka becomes the wife to Nahor, and they have a son. His name is Bethuel. So Bethuel and Milka, mum and son, are the niece and whatever the relationship is, is it nephew? To Abraham. And then they have a son, uh, they have a daughter, Rebecca. Now I don't know if Rebecca is Abraham's niece or if it's great niece or you can work that bit out. But in other words, these are not only uh, from Abraham's clan, these are very, very close. Nahor is Abraham's brother. Milcah is his niece, whom Nahor has married. And Bethuel is their 
their son. And Rebecca is Nahor's granddaughter. Now you've got the granddaughter of Abraham's brother over there going to marry the son of Abraham over here. This is now, I think, all illegal and you can't do it. But that doesn't happen for a few hundred years from here until the Levitical code comes in. And then watch this manservant to that. As soon as she says who she is and she drops the names of Nahor and so on, he went, oh my goodness, God has gone before. He bows his head, he bows down and he worships the Lord. Verse 26 and 7, he says, Praise be to the Lord, the God of my master Abraham, who have not abandoned his kindness or his mercy, nor his faithfulness to my master. I love this verse, particularly in the King James. As for me, the Lord has led me on the journey to the house of my master's relatives. In the King James, it says, I being in the way... The Lord led me. It's a great verse. I being in the way. I was walking with God and he led me. God is the one who orders our steps and directs our paths. And even when life is slow, he is still at work. And this man bows for the second time and prays. I don't know if Rebecca stayed and heard him pray because if she did hear him pray, then she would have heard him drop the the words, the Lord, and he would have mentioned the name Abraham. Having given permission that she can come, she then immediately runs away. Let me read to you verse 28 to 33. 28 to 33 says, The young woman ran and told her mother's household about these things. Rebecca had a brother named Laban, remember that name, and he hurried out to the man at the spring. As soon as he had seen the nose ring and the bracelets on his sister's arms and he'd heard that Rebecca, what she had said about this man, um, he went out to the man and found him standing at the camels near the spring. Laban, having seen the gold nose ring, having seen the gold bracelets, went, I need to go see this guy. This is the same Laban with the story of Jacob, who will delay and set all sorts of things up. There's an insight just into his character here. Anyway, he comes to the servant, verse 31, and says, come, you who are blessed by the Lord. He said, why are you standing here? I have prepared the house and a place for your camels. So the man went to the house and the camels were unloaded. Straw and fodder was given to the camels. Water for him and his men to wash their feet. Food was set before them. And then the servant says, I won't eat until I told you what I, uh, I have something that I need to tell you, you know, something to say. And then the chapter goes on. It's beautifully told. And I ask you, commend it to you reading it. Then he basically repeats the story, but in the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he adds little details here and there that were not told in the first half of the story. Just little things that raise the interest level a little bit. So here is the right girl at the right place at the right time, first time out. God was at work. And now here is the servant in the very house, and he tells the story, and he talks about Abraham, and he talks about Sarah, and he talks about the mission and the oath that he had to give. He talks about how he prayed and said, Lord, let the lady says this and says that. And when Rebecca came, she said it. And then I gave her those gifts, and now here we are. And I have a question. Can she come and marry my master's Isaac? And to which they reply very submissively, Verse 50, Laban and Bethuel, that's the dad and the son. Bethuel appears to be in the background, so maybe he wasn't well, maybe he was frail or whatever, because Laban seems to be the main active male in this family at this time. Anyway, Laban and brother and father answered, this is from the Lord, we can say nothing to you one way or the other. Here is Rebecca, take her and go and let her become the wife of your master's son, as the Lord has directed 
So they are submissive and they agree and they think God is in this. Who are we to stand in the road of that? When Abraham's servant heard that, verse 52 and the following, he bowed down to the ground before the Lord again. It's a godly man. And then the servant brought out gold and silver jewelry and articles of clothing, gave them to Rebekah. And he also gave costly gifts to her brother and to her mother. And then he and the men who were with him ate and drank and they spent the night there and they have a good night's sleep. They get up the next morning. So now 10 camels loaded with food and water and gifts. Now all the gifts are taken off, however many camels are on, given away. So now we've got empty what? Camels. Now we've got some cars that are empty. We can put some stuff in it. And we're going to for the return trip. Servant comes down the next morning and says, uh, thank you for your hospitality. Can we please be going? And they said, oh, don't go yet. There's tension in the story. This is Laban's tactic. You'll do it later. There's a lesson here for us. <clears throat> Can we go? Oh, don't go yet. Give us 10 days. We love her so much. We're never going to see her again. We haven't seen Abraham. So we're not going to see her again. Um, and we're going to miss her. And besides... He's going to pick up the water each day. <clears throat> um, and so they, they tried the delay tactics. The servant's response, he's a very godly man, he's very submissive and in tune with what God is saying. And he says to them, God has clearly indicated his will. You have agreed to that. Once we know the will of God, let's not delay in fulfilling it. That's basically his response. When we know what God wants us to do, do it. Don't delay and so they said, oh, okay, we can't make the decision. We'll ask Rebecca, thinking, oh, she'll want to stay for a little bit longer, surely. They call Rebecca in, and Rebecca beautifully says, do you want to go now or do you want to go in 10 days? She says, I'll go now. Submissive, obedient, keen to do what God wants her to do. Uh, there's certainly a fair bit of romantic excitement in it for her because she's going to meet her future husband. What is he like? Who knows? So verse 59, after she says, I'll go. So they sent Rebekah on her way along with her nurse and Abraham's servant and his men. And then they're going to bless Rebekah and so on. Her childhood nurse, the lady who had nursed her since being a little girl, they sent her with her, somebody very close to her. Oh, sister, may you increase to thousands upon thousands. May your offspring possess the gate of their enemies. And then Rebekah and her attendants... So now she's got a nurse going with her as well as other servants, attendants going with her. They mounted the camels, the ones that were empty. And they went back with the man. So the servant took Rebecca and he left. What is the servant talking to Rebecca about on the way home? Passage doesn't say, but he's telling her all about Isaac. He's telling her all about Abraham. He's telling her all about God's plan and what God is doing. I'm telling you that for an application that I'll tie together in a second. Story switches down south where Isaac is. Isaac has just come up from being further south and he looks up and he sees a caravan coming and the camel's coming and they meet each other and please read the text very carefully. Many people misread it. When she looked up and saw Isaac, she takes a veil, she covers herself, she covers her whole body, her head, everything. You can probably only see her eyes. Um, and then they meet. Verse 67 says, Isaac brought her into the tent of his mother Sarah and he married Rebekah 
And so she became his wife and he loved her and Isaac was comforted after his mother's death. When she arrived, he does not take her into the tent and sleep with her straight away and therefore they're married. Having sex doesn't make you married. The Bible doesn't teach that. What the passage says is that when she arrived, he put her in his mother's tents. That's her accommodation. He's got his own tent. And then in the next chapter, you'll find out, a little months later or whatever, marriage preparations are made and there is a marriage, which the Bible doesn't describe, but we are given his age. In chapter 25, verse 11, Abraham, um, Isaac is 40 years of age when he marries Rebekah, which makes Abraham 140. And that's not until Isaac is 60 that he has children. So Abraham is 160 and he has twins and he sees them for the first 15 years of their life and at 175 Abraham will pass away he will die there are lots of lessons and applications that we could draw from this but probably the most important is this the chapter is showing us and teaching us in the providential workings of God that God is committed to working his plan and purposes out and that he does that through the circumstances of life and through the obedient faithfulness of his people. God providentially is working his purposes out and he does that through the circumstances of life and through the obedient faithfulness of his servants, his people. He is behind the scenes, he is at work, he's directing the events. In this chapter there is no word from God, there is no miracle, but he's present. And he's working his purposes out. And so we, as God's people, have a responsibility to ensure that God's mission is carried to the next generation. We need to rely on God's intervention, pray. But don't just pray, we also get involved. We don't just do things, we also pray. And asking God to give us success. We can be very confident of this, that the Lord will lead us as we are faithful and submissive in his directions we need to walk with him and be committed to what his purposes are there is this application to make as well abraham in this chapter reminds us of our heavenly father here is a father who is sending his servant to look for a bride for his one and only son our Heavenly Father sent someone to look for a bride for his one and only son. Isaac, Genesis 22, Genesis here, Isaac is a picture of the Lord Jesus. He is the only son. He is the one that was going to be offered up. He is the one who carried the cross, carried the wood. Isaac was the one who was named before he was born. There's lots of parallels with Isaac. And interestingly, in this chapter, if you have ears to receive it, Isaac has not been seen since Mount Moriah, the place of sacrifice. He's been mentioned on the lips of many people, but he does not appear in the story until he comes forth to meet his future bride. Jesus has not been seen since Calvary, but is on the lips of many people and will not be seen again until he comes forth to receive his bride, us. Rebecca in this story is like us. 
She hears the message brought to her by a servant. She believes what she has heard. She hasn't seen Isaac, but she's attracted to him, and she's the one who says, I will go. If Abraham is like God, and if Isaac is like Jesus, and Rebecca is like us, then who is the servant? Who is the one who goes into the world to look for a bride for the son? Holy Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit at work in his people to bring people to, um, to believing in Jesus. That's why I said to you right at the beginning that in this chapter you have in a picture the whole Bible story that we have a good, good father who sent his son into the world to die for us and who sends his spirit into the world to draw us to him and that one day in the future there'll be a marriage supper of the lamb let's pray together thanks heavenly father for this incredible story and for the truths that it contains but most of all for that reminder that you are the god who is at work in the world that your purpose is to find a bride for your son the lord jesus and to that end lord now you've sent your spirit indwelling us and now we like the servant to be obedient and prayerful and wise observing cooperating with what your purposes are in order that people like rebecca might say i will lord could you do that in our lives could you lead us to people and open our eyes so that we can have sensible conversations about you and could you do it through kids club could you even now be preparing more hearts of more children and more families? Thank you for the 180 that have already registered. Lord, we have room for 230, and I ask that you would fill it. I pray that you'll bless the leaders and the teachers and the helpers, and that you'll take your word and achieve your purposes. Lord, can you remind us too, when life is slow, you're still at work. May your will be done, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.